1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Performing Arts, a podcast from the New Books Network. My name is Andy Boyd. Today, I'm talking with Youssef El Gindi about his collection in a clear, concise Arabic tongue. Youssef, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate your interest thank you
0: this is a, a really exciting book because it's it's all the the plays are of varying lengths but i think the longest are maybe about 20 or 30 pages um and and that's a very uh that's a very exciting thing to have a a, a kind of collection from throughout a playwright's career of shorter works um yeah. what attracts you to that that style of writing you know short plays monologue plays stuff like that
1: um, you know i what made me write these pieces? Um, you know, sometimes a an impulse, an idea. It's it's not a full length. It's not a full length play. It's a it's a moment. It's it's um, it's a short arc, a short dramatic arc, and you just sense it immediately, and um, uh, you go for it. I mean, and 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 part of what motivated me to write these short pieces is I had a venue, a theater in San Francisco called uh, called Golden Thread Productions. And um, they, every, I think it was for a while every year, then I think they switched to every two years, they had a short play festival. And there's nothing like um, uh, people ready to receive your work that, you know, it's a great motivator to to write and knowing they had this, uh, uh, festival of one, uh, short pieces. Um, I, it motivated me to write these short pieces. And, um, as I said, sometimes you just, you just know, it's not a, it's not a full length play. It's a, it's like a short story. There's a short arc, mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to get to it very quickly and you're going to complete it, uh, um, you know, uh, in short order. So it is kind of difficult. Short plays are weird because uh, just for from a playwright, just as a playwright, a lot of these festivals want them to be brand new plays. Um, but uh, they're not going to invite you or fly you in to work on them because it's a short play, and you know, there are lots of playwrights, and they they usually they can't afford to do that. But it's still an untested play, and you need to be there. You need to uh, be able to work on the uh, on the piece and know what's working and what's not. And what was good about Golden Thread was that, um, you know, they would uh, bring me in to work on it. Uh, there were, I mean, not every piece was uh, premiered there, but. Um, um, yeah, with every piece I was able to work on it. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I like short plays. I mean, they're, they're sort of like short stories. It's not a there's not a big market for them. Um, but, um, I, I think they can be very powerful.
0: Yeah. That's always interesting to me. There, there are writers who are known primarily for short stories, but, that's much more rare in the theater. We don't have like a, a a Borges of the theater or something, you know, that's right. A a great playwright who only writes short plays. That's that, that doesn't really exist.
1: Or like George, is it George Saunders? Who's the short story writer? um, uh, Sure. He has
0: one novel now, but
1: yeah. He has one novel. Okay. Uh, But yes, there are, it's true. It's, you know, there are a lot of, I think John Cheever, there are a lot of uh, Maupassant. There are a lot of writers who are known for their short pieces. And yes, I think it's, I think a lot of it has to do with um, um, I don't know if it's economics or or what, but it's it feels because um, it. I mean, you're right. I mean, there, there should there could be and there are there are things like 1448. I don't know if you have that. I'm sure you must have a version of that in in uh, New York where people gather for 48 hours and create pieces, and then they just mount them. So there is a market uh, for short pieces and and audiences seem to enjoy it, but theaters don't program a whole lot of that. So, yeah, it's a shame we don't um, we don't have more of those festivals.
0: One of the things I really enjoyed about this book was that I could you know, I read this book. It maybe took me. You know, two or three hours or so, but I felt like I was able to get a sense of the sweep of your entire career because the plays stretch from, I think maybe even the first play you wrote was an uh, an adaptation of a, of a short play by Chekhov. Uh, yes, and then the you have plays that premiered as Zoom plays during the pandemic. So when yeah. you were putting this book together, did you notice anything about kind of the shape of your career that hadn't <laughs> occurred to you while you were living it?
1: Um... You know, there are there are short pieces I left out. Um I, I, I did notice that most of the pieces were political in nature. Um and um did I notice anything? Let's see. Um you know, just just how um You know, I look at all the different themes and subjects of the uh, pieces and they all respond to something going on politically around me at the time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even a marriage proposal, which, as I mentioned in the foreword, is a piece that's adapted by a lot of different groups, different ethnic groups. uh, um, And because it's, it's so relatable. And even that for me was a radical act of sorts, because at the time I wrote it, in the early 2000s, um, was it not, late 90s, early 2000s? Um, there just wasn't a lot of representations, so a lot of a lot of representation of Arabs, Arab Americans, Muslim Americans on stage. So to me, it felt like a radical act, even though it was an adaptation mm. of a Chekhov farce. Just because I was uh, Inserting Arabs and Muslims into the uh, equation. Um, so, I mean, th- I think all the pieces are political in nature. They're responding to something that's going on around me. Um, I've always, I've always been a very um, conscious of just various political forces and societal forces, and to me, the individual is very much plugged into uh, to that. It's it's strange how a lot of American dramaturgy seems to ignore, wants to ignore the politics of it all. And mm-hmm. um, to me, <laughs> the politics shapes us, even, though, even if you don't realize it, you're being shaped by it. And for some people, they're very conscious that they're being shaped by it because they can't ignore it. You know, for a lot of people okay. around the world, they, can, they can't ignore what the government is doing uh, mm-hmm. because it might def- impact them in a very real negative way. And so they have to pay attention, you know. And it's, it's a, it's, it is a great privilege and I suppose a mark of some success um, to, to just go about your day not paying attention to things uh the headlines i mean that in, in a sense that is a mark of success you you mm-hmm. a society has been created that kind of functions you know not for everyone <laughs>
0: yeah
1: not for everyone and 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 that's why you don't get a lot of you know we get a we get reports about wall street we don't get reports about skid row we get report you know um uh uh oh. so it's um But what was I saying? Um, Yeah, so I do. I mean, I just tend to pay attention and that's what motivates my my plays. At the same time, I always say playwrights aren't reporters. Uh, I know that what I write today, it might be another two years before the play is performed. So what What may have triggered the play may be old news by the time the play is done. So what what I respond to, there's some universal element of struggle or conflict that um, speaks to me and triggers the play. And so it's not that I sort of extract it from the particulars of the thing that motivated the play, but, I, but, you know, it's a balance between how specific do I want to be and, um, and, uh, sort of, or, or, and to what degree do I want to make it universal? I mean, I, I remember I wrote one play. I wrote several plays about the Egyptian revolution in 2011. And, um, and I think one of them is in here, actually. The tyrant uh, is in here. Um, But I remember writing a full-length play called The Mummy and the Revolution, and I was very, very specific. And it was a play about hope, and it was during a time when I thought, that's it, we're never going back to the way it was, or the dictatorship, Mm -hmm. we're moving forward, there really was a revolution, and it was full of hope. And then, of course, everything uh, slid back to the way it was, and now we have a full-blown dictatorship, and... um, um, it's worse than before. Uh, but so I wrote that play in that moment of hope and it reflects that. And it's very specific in just literally a year and a half, two years, that play was rendered dated. You know, I couldn't even, I couldn't even sort of rewrite it to, um, to try and account for you know the new political landscape in egypt because it was just its dna was hope and change and you know and Mm -hmm. um uh and so that was a and i remember i remember when i was writing it was going nope i'm going to make references to now i'm going to be very specific i'm um uh i i i want to reflect the moment and of course you know it 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 the play just it it didn't work after two years it was it just you couldn't perform it so there's a lesson in that i mean it's very it's 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 a it's an interesting dilemma for playwrights uh, especially for playwrights who are you know responding to um to what's going on around them i mean i know i mean i know you're you're a playwright in your own right how do you tackle that issue
0: yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's different for me, obviously. You know, I'm a I'm a white guy, so I feel like people don't assume my place are political unless I really go out of my way to make them political, which I which yeah. I tend to do. I, I'm also drawn towards more more political themes, but it, it strikes me that, you know, that was a choice I made, not something that was sort of foisted upon me. Like I, I interviewed Jose Rivera last week, and one of the things he said was, like, Well, I don't really consider myself a political playwright. And that sort of bowled me over because like of course, I'd say Rivera is a political playwright, but yeah. also maybe that's just an assumption because he writes, you know, a lot about Puerto Rican characters, and he writes about right. what it what it feels like to be, you know, a, a Latino person living in New York City. And yeah. you know, I think of that as being a political theme, but that's just the yeah. reality of his of his life. So, yeah, I I I think that I do I do tend to write stuff that is pretty specific, but I guess my approach is more I hope the themes of the play. Are universal enough that they can transcend yes. the specifics, but yes. I do leave a lot of specifics in. Yes. Whereas, like yes. you, I mean, your, your play, The Tyrant, in here, um, which was one of my favorite of the plays in here, you know, you mentioned that it was inspired by the Egyptian Revolution, but it could have easily been a play about Saddam Hussein, or it could yes. have been a play, you know, about the Shah of Iran in the yes. 1970s. It yes. could be, it could have been a play about about uh, Pinochet in in Chile. Yes. So, yes. it that's a play that is rooted in a specific moment, but also you've sort of, you know, gone through and deleted all the specific references. And that, that yes. seems to be a way that that play lives on. And yet there are certain things that that character says, like, you know, you call me a tyrant now, but you know, I was on the CIA's payroll for 20 yes. years. And you yes. think yes. That, that too, that seems too specific, but actually yes. that is true of many yes. of the dictators of our world. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, a couple of points about that. I think, um, uh, First of all about Jose Rivera um, um, I think sometimes I will say I'm not a political playwright you know sometimes I and I, I think sometimes I just I want to be contrary because I feel uh, I'm, I'm being boxed in and being dismissed as a political playwright and I say I'm not a political playwright and and I kind of and I can say that um, sometimes because and I think I say this in the forward in the in, in this collection I say look the when you're as it is, when I go home to Egypt, for instance, and sit around the table and chat with my family, you know, the things we talk about are political, can be political. It's not always about, you know, family gossip. It's also about what's going on around the country. And so that's a very personal family discussion. It's a domestic, you know, about mm. domestic because what's going on around us is impacting us you know, and so to chat about it is a domestic matter. It's not a, it is a political matter, but it's also a very personal domestic matter, you know. So there is no, there is no uh, sort of like, now I'm writing about politics, and but then I'll get back to my, you know, uh, individual. You know, you cannot realize your individuality in a country that it, where you're so hemmed in by forces that don't allow you to, you know, uh, express yourself freely, where you have to watch what you're saying. Um, So the domestic is the political in in those situations. And of course, the reason why a lot of people got very political in the past since Trump, you know, came into office, because suddenly all the things they took for granted um, uh, were, they could no longer take it for granted, but the things they just things will while well, democracy just runs smoothly, it, there's no effort or work you have to put, you don't have to put any work or effort into making sure the democracy just keeps going. And you go, Oh, we do, you know. And suddenly people woke up and and, and go, oh, We have to pay attention because thing, we're losing stuff, we're losing rights, you know. Uh, and, um, you know, the right to an abortion, uh, you know, the, the, um. A host of just institutions that were undermined during this uh, uh, um, his presidency, and that continues to be continue to be undermined. Um, mm-hmm. So it it takes work, and I I, mean, I remember a lot of um, commentators from outside the country were going, "Well, now now you know how it feels and what it takes to yeah. maintain something." And people do people get the de- people kind of get bored by democracy. People just get bored. They think. Oh, we—you know—it's not a thing. It's just—it's the air we breathe, you know. Uh, and of course, that air can get polluted very quickly. You know, and corruption seeps in, and and um, anyway, um, yes, to that topic about um, so there's that. I mean, I, to your, I mean, I was responding to the comment about Jose Rivera that, you know, uh, I think in just in writing about domestic matters, he is writing about political matters and mm-hmm. and and vice versa and uh and yes i mean the that becomes the trick with you know what you're doing what i'm doing and other people who want to reflect everything that's going around us how how specific do you want to be in your text you know uh and that's a yeah. that's a thing i remember when i was writing a play back in the like a couple of months after 9 11 mm-hmm. In 2001, December, I was writing a play called Back of the Throat. And I remember even then the word terrorist felt dated. And even though it's kind of still bandied about, obviously it was for years and years after that, there's something about its use that already felt so uh, overused and um, stopped meaning anything even two months after 9-11, it stopped for me. And that word is never used in that play, you know, which is essentially about the, the attacks and everything that followed. So again, you just, you, 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 I think your instinct, each playwright has to just feel their way through the references, the words, and, you know, um, to know what may still be relevant A few years from now, but again, I'm not, that's not my main focus. My main focus is always on, you know, what I need to mention. I will mention, but it's a, it's a thing. I mean, it is a thing. Um, yeah. And what I will do sometimes with every play is I'll put it away, work on something else and come back to it a few months later, sometimes even a year later and go, okay, what, what, what still works and what doesn't, you know, time is usually your best critic.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I'd like to ask you about is the title of this volume, which is in a clear, concise Arabic tongue, um, which is not the title of one of the plays in the volume, which I feel like that's usually what people do when they put out a volume of plays. Is they'll either say, you know, the selected plays of so-and-so, or they'll say, you know, such-and-such such play and other plays. So right. I'd like to know where that phrase comes from and, and why you decided to make it the title of this volume.
1: Well, I... <laughs> I once, many moons ago, um, you know, many moons ago, I was just an actor. I was an actor and a poet. I, write, I wrote lots of poetry and I acted. And most of my, I mean, I did write plays. I mean, I, you know, I'll get to my, if interested, I'll, I'll, I'll talk how I got into playwriting. But my main focus was acting and uh, writing poetry. And I collected these poems and I sent it off to this publisher and they were going to, uh, publish publish uh, this poetry collection. And the title I came up with for that poetry collection was in a clear, concise Arabic tongue. And uh, for various reasons, they, it never, um, through my own foolishness and communication with the publisher, uh, the collection was never published. <laughs> but I always loved that title. And I always wanted to use that title. And I, I, I collected these plays and I thought, oh, my God, that title, I can use it. It was a collection of poetry then and now it's a collection of um, uh, uh, plays here. And thematically, you know, they do the, a lot of the plays, not all of the plays, but do involve Arab characters. And I just thought, I think this is an appropriate title for this collection. And so I repurposed that uh, title for this, uh, this collection. Um, and it
0: does capture something about the plays, too, this, this idea of it being concise, that these are sort of like distilled, you know, little uh, slivers of dramatic action rather than, you know, a full a full two hour evening.
1: Yes. Thank you. I, I mean, thank you. Yes, I, I, I appreciate that. That's why I just felt yes. It just it just suddenly felt great. Thank God this is the, the perfect match for that title. And I'm so glad because I, you know, I, I was almost sorry to lose the title than uh, then, then lose having the poems being published. I don't know why, but so I, I'm glad I was able to uh, use that. Um, so yes, yes, yes. No, playwriting was, yes, playwriting was always plan B. I, I sort of stumbled into playwriting. And uh, when I wasn't accepted as an actor, into uh the drama schools i applied and the one school that Mm. uh, that accepted me was uh, for playwriting so and i'm so glad because i lost my playwright my acting bug in my mid-30s and uh so thank god for that yeah. Let's, let's talk more
0: about that. What was it like to be sort of uh, inadvertently uh, flung into a playwriting program and, and kind of, how did you start writing? How did you find your voice? Um, yeah. Let's, let's hear that story.
1: Well, I just, um, as I said, I, I, I applied for acting schools, six acting schools, and they all, for some reason, rejected me. I thought I was a pretty good actor and I thought, well, I do write. I do write. I had written a, uh, Two, three plays uh, in my when I was in Cairo in my undergraduate um, uh, during my undergraduate days, and um, and so I, I I applied to Carnegie Mellon, and as I said, all the other schools rejected me, and the only school that accepted me was Carnegie Mellon, and so I sort of walked into that graduate program really nervous because I was obviously going to be with people. Whose passion uh, was playwriting, and um, so yeah, so I just I worked very hard. It took me a while um, to get with the program. You know, it's very—it it's was a conservatory. It was um, they really taught a craft, and I was so appreciative of that. Uh, my my teacher was a um, uh, playing teacher was David Ball. He wrote a short piece called Backwards and Forwards, and it's a very good concentrated. A uh, uh, little booklet about uh, how to read plays and write them, and, and yeah, so I was taught a craft. It was very, it was very useful to me. And um, and then I I left graduate school and I was unable to write for two years because all I heard in my head were my teachers critiquing my pieces, and it took full two years to just quiet all those voices so it's because I would start writing something then I would hear them go oh it's this is wrong with it this is right and I just stopped you know writing is in part a confidence trick you have to convince yourself what you're writing is worthwhile uh worth your time and I just had no confidence to finish anything and it took a while um mm-hmm. so um And I ended up actually teaching playwriting for a while, even though secretly my passion was always acting and it continued to be so for a while. I did end up uh, teaching the craft. And um, as I always say, you can teach this craft, you cannot give a writer their voice. That's something the writer has to come to all by themselves, but you can give them the tools and say this is the craft this is the medium you're operating in it's not a novel uh it's not a, a short story um the, it's not dialogue you know i i think people think you know it's just dialogue and it, there are craft and basically i i t- taught my students what i was taught and it was a very dry craft orientated you know this is this is what a this what could, this is what constitutes tr- uh, conflict to mutually to mutual, uh, mutually exclusive wants. Uh, how do you get exposition out in a way that's theatrical and not dry? Um, what are the uh, you know? What are the hooks, the suspense elements that keep the momentum forward? This is a present, future tense medium. Uh, it's, uh, um, and when references are made to the past, it has to be relevant to the present and, you know, it has to move the action. All those elements, you know, these are craft elements that can be imparted to a student, but this, the writer's voice, that's, that's, that's each to themselves. And as, a, as a, I taught for seven years and it was kind of wonderful to see that, you know, a writer's voice come into, come into being. And you went, ah, Um, there it is, you know. And it took me a long time. It took me a long time because as a writer, it took me a long time in part because, first of all, I was raised in England. I I was born in Egypt, raised in England. I did go back to Cairo to do my undergraduate degrees. But, you know, a lot of the voices I heard were very English voices. And it took a full, you know, five, six, seven years before I organically began to hear you know, the characters speak in an American accent, you know. And I'm, very, I'm i was very much plugged into I'm I'm always trying to plug into the society I'm in. And so it took me along to t- just be able to write an American play with American characters. And um, um and so that was one thing where I I had to just organically absorb myself into the culture. Uh, uh, in order to be able to reflect it. And also I was just being between cultures and I just didn't know what I was supposed to write about and what I... It was actually when I became a citizen in 96. I remember walking out of that ceremony going, oh, now I... not that I, I I didn't say now I'm plugged in, now I I know, I I hadn't, I had a sudden sense of what my moving forward, what I was supposed to write about, or where my writing would fit in. It's like all, it's, I am now part of a narrative, an immigrant narrative, that all this sort of being born in one place, being raised in another, going uh, back somewhere else, coming to America, this is, part of the immigrant journey. And now I'm just one thread in this tapestry of immigrant stories and that my writings now belong to this American narrative of the immigrant. And that for me psychologically was really, really important to know Mm. what I was writing about, to whom I was writing, that I I was part of a tradition, this American tradition of people from everywhere coming and becoming a part of this country of immigrants, you know, with all due respects to the Native Americans, and I'm very glad that that's now, you know, uh, a part of the language of theater, Um, and hopefully more plays and not just, you know, words, more plays from indigenous Americans will be staged, but that I was part of this, you know, history of this country, and that to me was just, I didn't realize how vital that was for me as a writer um it really was psychologically it was huge huge and everything i wrote from that on, from then on became an american story for me even when i you know wrote about something like the tyrant you know he he the tyrant is set in america actually you know it's it's sort of like imagining like a cleopatra figure or you know being brought to america to account for their for his actions you know and Uh, I always say um, uh, um, that, you know, people say, well, you write about Arabs and Muslims. And I say, yes, I do. I do write about uh, Arabs, Muslim, Middle Eastern Americans and Middle Easterners. But my actual story is the immigrant story, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially a lot of my full length uh, plays have to do with the uh, that uh, the struggles and tensions of being an immigrant. And, um, you know, and I, I always personally become very, uh, I, I appreciate when people from other immigrant groups come to me and go, oh, that's just like my family. Uh, or I can totally relate to that. Uh, because I, I, I am trying to write about that displacement, that disorientation, that trying to fit in trying to belong uh that yearning that tension the conflicts in that um yeah so that's in in sort of very broad terms is sort of the journey i took um,
0: I have a, a good friend who's Palestinian who who always says that one of the kind of transformative moments for him in terms of feeling like he had a place in, in America and a, a place in kind of the world of the theater was playing Tevya in high school.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> so great! Roof. Absolutely, Ab- absolutely. <laughs> of course, that's...
0: ends with the family coming to yes. America. you know, fleeing, absolutely.
1: Islands. So, absolutely. I think I, I I I can totally I can totally see that. Uh, about the, you know, needing to leave, the struggle, uh, the sense of emergency, the immigration, absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You write about, in the introduction, you write about feeling like there weren't authentic Arab, Muslim, Middle Eastern stories on stage when you first started writing. I think that's changed a little bit. Um, You know, I'm thinking of someone like, Mona Mansour, you know, your work, um, Sanaz Tusi is not Arab, but you know, Persian descent. Um, what do you feel like has allowed for that shift? And do you feel like there's been a a sort of a a, a wall broken or a dam has, has burst or do you, does it still feel like uh, a kind of uphill battle for you?
1: Well, I think, um, I mean, as I mentioned in the forward, um, uh, Growing up, there, were no, there was no representation on stage. You know, on, on films, we had the villains and all that, and, you know, the, the, uh, the terrorists and the bad guys. But on stage, I saw no representation. Um, it wasn't even as sort of um, smattering uh, I'm sure it wasn't even
0: you know, misrepresentation. It wasn't nothing. even
1: misrepresentation. That's right there was we, we were totally absent as if we didn't exist. and um uh, and it was only in my 40s as I and as I, you know, even now, and I mean I, I, I tried to communicate my amazement and I'm still amazed when I realized that not until my 40s uh, did I start seeing uh, slowly, slowly, uh, more representation on stage. And a lot of that representation in the beginning was actually, very sensation very sensational and headliney and you know it was it, it were plays about terrorists and 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 arabs and M- muslims still came off kind of not in a great light but they were represented at least you know but they were villains uh, or just a bit icky and i'm talking about the plays that you know uh, got some traction and su- uh, success not talking about the plays that were done in smaller theaters that try to represent um middle eastern voices like golden Thread productions or silk road rising um or Nebras or um uh other theaters at the time uh in the broader mainstream uh uh theater world you know the plays that were finally uh done you know the representation you just kind of cringed i cringed at a lot of these plays because of the representation um Mm -hmm. and i I just i don't want to name names because i just don't want to go down that road but um was a lot of cringing um and um you know it is it is the weird trajectory of a lot of groups in this country that there's invisibility and then what happens is there's some negative thing happens Mm-hmm. And there's this focus on this group. And then this group has to account for itself, and in accounting for itself, you know, you have comedians who come out and they start talking about the situation. Then you have, you know, articles and short stories and the novels start get written and uh, get, start get um, get written, and then play and plays start get you know and actors start emerging. So it's almost this negative spotlight, and it's happened to almost every group you know, continues to happen where they become the problem group of the decade or the, you know, whatever. And then there's this, and people go, well, well who are these people? You know, uh, and and so, and and that group that may have been either purposely trying to be under the radar or couldn't get their foot in the door, suddenly, you know, it's like, uh, um, suddenly there's a, this negative spotlight on them. As somebody said, uh, 9-11 was a was a kiss and a slap. It was both mm-hmm. things, both negative and positive. But, you know, things were beginning to, as I always point out, things slowly were beginning to happen in at the end of the 90s and, and before 2001. These organizations that were focusing in on um, Arabs, Muslims, Muslims, Middle Easterners, they were beginning to form. You know, uh, Misna, uh, uh, this literary magazine, was forming in uh, Minneapolis. Golden Thread was started in 97 in San Francisco. Nebraska in New York. Uh, the Arab Theatrical Arts Guild in uh, Dearborn. So there were these groups slowly coming. And I actually thought one of the terrible repercussions of uh, of 9/11 was um, was that all these groups would be silenced and mm-hmm. um, and uh, not that the opposite happened but there was then this kind of from the, the mainstream responded by going well who are you people exactly you know and so there had to right. be a response to that um, as to, and I think, and yes, since then, all the people you mentioned, uh, there has been a little. The door has opened up slightly. Um, I, I mm-hmm. still don't think we're quite as embraced as other groups. I, I don't think they know what to do. You know how to fit us, place us, think of us. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we have woven our way. As much into the tapestry of the American mainstream culture as we could. I think it's happening; things are happening, and I'm very happy to see it. Uh, but I think we have a ways to go. Um, and um, but I'm so heartened when I see these young playwrights are coming up, um, and I think great, fantastic. You know, it's 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 very yeah, it's just very encouraging for me. To have started in a place where there was nothing, no representation, and now to see all these different writers stepping up, um, uh, and actors, and designers, uh, directors. Uh, So it is happening. It's just, you know, it's taking a while. Yeah.
0: What you said reminded me of an interview I heard with the uh, actor and musician Riz Ahmed, who said... You know, the first step is they ask you to play a stereotypical offensive representation of a terrorist. And then the second step is they ask you to play a a slightly sympathetic version of a terrorist. And then the third step is they ask you to be uh, an Arab who's not a terrorist. And then the final step is they ask you to be in Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like they ask yeah, you to, 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 to do things that are not dependent necessarily yes. on being from a specific cultural background it, it, yes. it feels like maybe we're not quite at that level where you know it seems like yeah. every play that is about Arab or Muslim people that's part of that's part of what how it's marketed that's how it's part of its, its, it's presented is it's a look into this world but maybe we're starting to inch towards the point where these can just be you know human stories in the same way that you know yes uh, Fiddler on the Roof is is often considered sort of a universal human story rather than a specifically Jewish story. Maybe we're yes. approaching that point.
1: Yes. No, I mean, I, I, I agree. And I was as a writer, I was I was offered uh, sometimes jobs where I was, you know, brought on to humanize the terrorist. And I just said, I don't want to do that. I, I, you know, we're right. talking about the stages, you know, so right. writer was brought out, okay, but we want to hear from that. And I said, well, I don't, but he's still a terrorist or she's still a terrorist. I, I don't want to, you know, you're just um, prettying something awful up and I don't want to do that. Right. So, um, yeah. Um, and I think I may people have. People
0: forget that most of the victims of, of ISIS or Al Qaeda or any of those groups are, are other Arab yes. and Muslim people.
1: You know? Yes. Yes, and and unfortunately, and and then and and then in those stories, the people, those people are saved by the westerner who comes in and rescues the you know um, the defenceless family or defenceless woman or from the you know uh, uh, clutches of ISIS or whatever. So um, there's that narrative that still. Uh, still it's the old Western narrative, you know, of the, uh, the car who rides in and saves the, you know, native American uh, from the rest mm. of the, Sure. Uh, you know, so it's, um, but we are, I mean, it's, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. I mean, I think we're, we're heading in the right direction. I hope. Um, mm-hmm. So, and as I said, I'm very heartened by, all these new writers that are coming up. And um, so, yeah, we'll see. It's very exciting. One of
0: the, one of the plays that I, I really enjoyed as well uh, was the, the play, the Monologist suffers her monologue, which yes. kind of compares the loneliness of solo performance to the loneliness of being a, a Palestinian um, yes. and kind of, you know, not, not really being afforded full, you know, nationhood in the same yes. way that, a character who's a, who's on stage alone is sort of not quite a full theatrical character. Yes. Um, what inspired that play? I mean, you're, you're not of Palestinian descent, um, yes. obviously, but, but what, what kind of what inspired that play and what inspired that kind of connection that, you know, Palestine is sort of a, a, a monologue in search of an audience in a way.
1: Yes. I mean, I mean, you, as I said, I'm very plugged in politically to my surroundings and, you know, the sense of injustice is obviously that's is something that motivates a lot of my writing. And with the Palestinians, I just don't feel they've gotten a fair shake. And um, so in a sense, this play is about just, hey, you know, here's a situation. And, um, uh, and really trying to get into the mindset of somebody, a Palestinian, who really it has, I mean, we speak of Arabs and Muslims having no to terrible represent, either no representation, no representation to terrible representation. And with Palestinians, that's just uh, tenfold, you know, where I feel they're just not uh, fairly represented if they're represented at all. So in a sense, that play is trying to uh, address that. Um and and it also speaks as as i said to this my this general sense of of invisibility of you know of you know arabs and muslims and middle eastern people in general in the west but yes also specifically you know the palestinian and, and how they're represented in the west or not mm-hmm. you know and so that piece very much is uh trying to address that um yeah, I'd
0: love to ask you, too, about kind of your, your broader experience in theater. A lot of these plays were produced in Seattle and you live in Seattle, right?
1: Yes. I mean, a lot of them actually, a lot of the short pieces were actually produced in San Francisco. I do live in Seattle. Um, I think there are a couple were produced in um, a couple were produced here. Um, what was I'd, produced you, I'd like-, like
0: to ask you kind of what, what is that, what is that scene like? What has it been like for you? Do you feel like the, the, the Seattle theater scene has been a kind of supportive place to grow up as a playwright or, or um, I mean, I don't want you, I'm not asking you to, to trash your city if, if that's not the no. case, but I don't really no. have much sense of what the, what the scene there is like. So I'd, I'd like you to know. You know, I mean,
1: I, uh, I, Seattle has been a decent town. You know, I came to Seattle in 94 and I thought I'll just stay a couple of years um i never yes and here we are 2022 i never thought i um i never wanted to go to new york um part of me was i don't know if it's always because well i'll end up in new york and let me explore the rest the the rest of the um but i was so curious about the west you know i mean there were i was going to go to either chicago or seattle or Minneapolis. They all had good theater scenes, uh, good transportation. I don't drive. And, um, and I chose Seattle because I thought, well, the winters will kill me in Chicago and Minneapolis. Yeah, better so,
0: weather.
1: Yes, better weather of all places, Seattle. Um, actually, it's very much like London weather, Seattle. And um, mm. it's okay. I mean, it's, it's pretty decent. You know, I mean, I would advise—I would still advise playwrights to go to New York if they have any inkling. I would say go to New York and just, you know, knock on doors there, uh, for the reason I mentioned earlier that if you have a local success in New York, it might have a greater chance of becoming a national success. And you know, when I—if I have a success here in Seattle, it just stays a local success, um, and I still then have to go and knock on doors around the around the country. Um, um, but it's decent. Uh, I, 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 in the, around 2010, uh, 2011, uh, ACT Theatre and Kurt Beattie and Anita Montgomery took an interest in my work and ACT Theatre has been very supportive since then. And really they've been, as I say, when I have a theatre, when I know I have a theatre that's, that will, that will automatically want to hear from me, it just motivates me to write. Golden Thread Productions sure. really was that theater for me in San Francisco to some degree. And, and to an, actually to the same degree for a while, um, Silk Road Rising Chicago was that theater. And so just having those two theaters was a great boon to me uh, uh, in terms of motivating me to write. And Then when Act Theater came along and said, we're also interested in your work, that also just made me go, well, let me write the next play. Um, so personally, ACT it has been very supportive for uh, here in Seattle, a few other theaters and people, uh, theaters like, you know, small spaces like 18th and Union, um, West of Lenin, um, uh, Theater Schmierter, there have been, there's small groups around the city that have been supportive, but it, it's a smallish market, you know, it, it is, it's, you know, uh and i do try and send my plays out elsewhere as well um um, yeah san francisco has really been my second home and portland portland has also been a, a a great support and specifically uh artist repertory theater in portland has been very supportive um yeah so up and down the west coast from San Francisco, Portland, right. Seattle has really been my home. Chicago, also, to some degree.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would, I would. I mean, you um, made the right choice. I mean, I think you, I think, as I said, I mean, I, but you know, the rent. I mean, it's just insane, insane yeah, struggles. Yeah. I don't want to live. I don't. As want, opposed I
0: mean, to, uh, <laughs> yeah, you mean you're at the rent here or the rent in Seattle?
1: Well, I'll tell you, for a while I was going, well, why why am I staying here? Because Amazon moved down the road. I mean, I live uh, Mm -hmm. just like 15 blocks from where Amazon parked itself. And suddenly the rents doubled. Everything doubled. It was terrible. And people were just being driven out of the city. And for a while I thought, well, why am I staying here? Why do not I just go to New York and pay for rent there since everything's getting doubled? But. I st- you know I st- I, I don't I, but I've, I've heard recently the apartments in some places are like three thousand dollars four thousand dollars in New York and, I, and so that's insane and I don't want to live in a hole and pay two thousand dollars for a hole you know in New York I mean I just you know what what would two thousand dollars get me in Manhattan or Brooklyn
0: uh, yeah it def- depends on what part of brooklyn but i think in general you're right it looks like our listeners won't see this but it looks like from our uh, our video call you're in a quite well-appointed uh space there in seattle so maybe you did make the right choice
1: <laughs> listen i i need i need i and this is i was when i moved into this space in uh 2005 i was paying 795 dollars a month oh geez cheese $795 a month and and yeah and it just and and it's a one bedroom this is just the living room and seven, and then Amazon moved in and it doubled so and I was just screaming and gnashing my teeth as it doubled every six months and but still it's cheaper than if I moved I knock on wood because I'm just I'm waiting for the shoe drop so knock on wood but yeah I just I can't live in a hole I need, you know, I need a place to, at the end of the day, come home to and go just exhale and just breathe easy. And mm-hmm. if I was a millionaire, I'd move to New York. If I was super <laughs> rich, I would, de- I would probably move to New York. And, uh, and yes, yes, I don't want to be the struggling artist in, yeah. um, you know, and you, and you have to, you know, I'd live alone and you have to usually have a, roommates or or a partner or somebody to shoulder the rent with you and um yes are you thinking of the struggling artist thing is definitely it's it's annoying the struggling
0: artist thing is definitely more exciting when you're in your 20s yeah
1: yes it is i mean you know it's like you you put up with anything i mean i remember in my 20s i put up with with everything with a i I lived with four people in my 20s in san francisco Mm -hmm. um and it's an adventure everything's an adventure when you get into your thirties and certainly in your forties, you're like, okay, okay. There's no more, this isn't, there's no romance to any of this anymore. (laughs) You know, uh, we're playing for keeps here and this is the rest of your life. And, you know, um, if it wasn't for the work, it would be very depressing. I would just go, gosh, what have I, what on earth have I achieved? You know, I'm, it's still a struggle. And I, I tell myself it's all for the work. It's all for the work. Um, uh, and it is. I mean, I, 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 am so grateful that I can still work knock on wood and, but it's, I, I it's precarious. It's very precarious. Yeah. And I keep going, why theater? Why couldn't, why couldn't I've been this passionate about film or TV? Why am I fixated on this goddamn medium that pays nothing? And you know, I, I say I should have been a novelist, but I I bet novelists are going, God damn it. Why am I a novelist? <laughs> you know, I should have been a player. Well, why, I, let's,
0: let's end with that. Why why do you think yeah. that you're still drawn to theater after all these years and after, you know, the frustrations of this uh, this art form in this industry uh, over over the last well, you know, because, twenty-five years? Well, what what keeps because, you coming back?
1: Because I can still I I, I still have agency. I can still you know, if I was part of a TV room, I'd be negotiating and 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 you know and, and that's I I've done that a couple of times and it's interesting it's its own it's its own experience and I actually enjoyed it. Um, but I, what I enjoy more is being able to sit down and create my own world. You know, there has to be a a place in the performing arts for a writer to be able to have enough agency to write what they want and yes it's a negotiator and you go into you go into rehearsals and you get lots of feedback and and but you also reach a certain stage where you can filter that feedback and go yes that works no that doesn't work and i have the final say on that you know Mm -hmm. um and that's important to me to be able to realize my intentions and you know still feel um to have my voice you know to have some integrity to that um so yeah i mean it's it's a place that i can say what i want express myself have my own voice um and and some of those plays are even done you know um so not everything, but some of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So well, y- Yusuf, I think that's a great note to end on. Thanks so much for being on new books in Performing Arts to talk about your book in a clear, concise Arabic tongue. I really enjoyed getting to know your work.
1: Well, I, I really appreciate your interest your interest in the in the book. I was so, you know, uh, chaffed and honored when you reached out and said you wanted to uh, chat about it. So thank you. I appreciate it.